Welcome to the Mount Zion Wesleyan Church Podcast. We hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and inspires you to step into the life God has for you. For more information about our church, visit us online at mountzionwesleyan.com. Good morning, church. Good morning. You may be seated. As you are being seated, if you have your Bibles, if you will join me in Psalm chapter 46. We want to welcome all those that are joining us online. We love you. We're so thankful for you. As you're turning to Psalm 46, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Most high God, we thank you for your grace, for your mercy, for your presence. And Father, as we walked into this place today and we were just drenched in rain, we are reminded, Father, that we are surrounded with your presence. That no matter what, no matter where, you are good. You are for us. We are your sons and your daughters. Father, we find our hope. We find our peace. We find our certainty in that. And all God's people say, amen, amen, amen. If you hadn't found Psalm 46 yet, give up. It's in the middle of the Bible. That's all I can tell you. It'll be on the screens behind me. Be reading out of the New Living Translation this morning. At the very top of the header of Psalm 46, which is always important, we talked about this last week, it's always crucial, essential, and important so that we can gain proper context and understanding to understand the header. And we're going to talk about that later on. So it says this for the choir director, a song of the descendants of Korah. For Alamoth to be sung by the soprano voices or for some of your translations, it may say related to the harps, which kind of echoes 1 Chronicles chapter 15. Here's the deal. That word Alamoth, nobody knows what it means. And I actually find comfort in that, that there are some things that this side of heaven, we just, we're not meant to understand, not meant to know. But what we do know is that God is good. And he is, verse one, our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. You'll see outside that, most of your translations will say either interlude or pause or sailor. The word sailor translated, it means pause. A river brings joy to the city of our God, the sacred home of the Most High. God dwells in that city. It cannot be destroyed. From the very break of day, God will protect it. The nations are in chaos and their kingdoms crumble. God's voice thunders and the earth melts. The Lord of heaven's army is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. So come see the glorious works of the Lord. See how he brings destruction upon the world. He causes wars to end throughout the earth. He breaks the bow 
and he snaps the spear. He burns the shield with fire. So be still and know that I am God. I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. And all God's people say, amen, amen, amen. amen. Hey, listen, at the very top, you see from the descendants of Korah. Now we read about Korah in Numbers chapter 16. This is in reference to Moses was leading his people in the wilderness. Korah steps up and says, I think I can be a better leader than Moses. So he gathers about 250 men and they stage a rebellion against God's chosen person, his anointed servant, Moses. And in doing so, Korah draws a line in the sand against God himself. And then what we read about is that God was not pleased with Korah's actions, his rebellion. So he creates an earthquake and the earth splits open. And he swallows the 250 men as well as Korah into the earth. And this is the song that his sons write. We see them pinning up to 11 songs of praise to God. This is important. In 1 Chronicles, we read that the sons of Korah sang with loud voice. You are not doomed to relive, to repeat the sins of your father. With God's help, the spirit working in and through you, you have the ability, the authority, the privilege, the mandate to rewrite generational curses. Some of you are in this room and you fear that DNA that courses through your veins. And you believe the lie that I am doomed, I am damned to live out the sins of my father. The sons of Korah stand as a reminder, as an anthem, as a promise, as a pledge, as a hope. The generational curses that can be broken, that your past does not define you, it does not excuse you, it just simply helps explain you. We could spend the next 34 minutes just in the header of this verse. Verse one, God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. The first thing that we notice here is God is. Not the White House, not a politician, not an earthly leader, not a 401k, not a savings account, not your family, not your spouse, not your children, not your job. God is. 
And if you put your hope, your faith, in anything other than God, you are setting yourself up for disappointment, letdown, and brokenness. God is, they or it is not. God is, you are not. The scariest words that you can ever hear uttered from another human's voice is, I got this. If you ever have a leader that bangs on their chest and says, I got this, you head for the hills. God and God alone should occupy the throne of your heart and of your life. God and God alone's shoulders can carry the weight of a crown. You cannot, you are not perfect, you are broken, but you are redeemed by the blood of Christ. So what is he? He is our refuge. The Hebrew word here is mashai. And what this means, it is an impenetrable fortress. It is a stronghold. It's emphasizing the protection, the provision, the strength of God. Where do you run in times of trouble? Where do you find your refuge? You see, each and every one of us, we have a refuge. For some of you, maybe you run to in times of trouble, resources, our money, visa, it is a help in times of trouble. You depend on your health. Are you lean on a hobby? Are you lean on your spouse? You lean, you run to, you find refuge, you find help in times of trouble through the refuge of alcohol, through the refuge of food. Now you just meddling, Luke, right? How many of you know when you've had a bad day and Oreo wants to be your refuge, you'll come in and be like, have you had a bad day? Oh, I can help you, you know. I got married, I weighed 150 pounds. I've been healed from that. (laughs) Because I found that in times of trouble, food can be a refuge for me. It can be a comfort for me. Maybe for you, it's sex or pornography, or maybe it's shopping or entertainment, binge watching, just vegging out. Maybe it's people or your work or your business or your success. What is your refuge? When the storms of life approach, when the proverbial rug is put out from under your feet, where do you run? to find protection, to find comfort. How do we know if what we are placing our hope in in times of trouble is a false refuge, is anything other than God? First thing is we know that it'll create distance. It always perplexes me when people say, I just didn't feel God today. Or God wasn't there, God wasn't present What I know that they're communicating that they can't see is that God doesn't move. It has nothing to do with God. It has everything to do with the distance they have allowed to grow in their relationship with him. You're not getting it. So let me put it this way. 
This has never happened, I promise. So don't console Jessica afterwards. It's just an example that'll lead hopefully to understanding. But let's say that Jessica and I are driving down the road and we come to a stop sign or a stoplight at the beach and a beautiful young girl walks in front of the car and I say, good Lord, look at that. Do you think that that created in that moment distance between Jessica and I, relationally? Now she's present. She's not, now if the car's moving, she's not gonna get out. If it stops, she might get out. But we've not created physical distance. But there has been relational distance that has come into our relationship, entered into our relationship because of dysfunction, because of poor choices, wrong attitudes, sinful behaviors, right? It is the same way in our relationship with God. If we find our refuge in anything other than what God says is right, true, holy, then there will be distance that not only enters into our relationship with each other, but also our relationship with God. Not only will it create distance, but it'll also create disappointment, despair. Anytime that we put our hope and our trust for healing and for help and for safety and for protection and for provision in anything other than God, it will let us down. It will create disappointment. They will get sick. They will die. They will downsize. I will lose my job. I will get to, oh, whatever it is, anything other than God will always lead to disappointment, which will eventually always lead to destruction of self and of relationship and a distorted view of a good, good God. In 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 3, we read a story about a man, a leader named Asa. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa developed a serious foot disease. Yet even with the severity of this disease, he did not seek the Lord's help but turned only to his physicians. So he died in the 41st year of his reign. Was it wrong for Asa to turn to his physicians? No, we should have doctors. God often brings healing through the form of our doctors and our surgeons and our people who administer medical care. But what happened here was Asa only looked to his doctors. Whenever we find ourselves in a medical situation in which we can't control and we find ourselves in the press of a, presence of a medical professional, do you know what my responsibility as dad is or as husband is? To pray for God's chosen agent to bring about healing. So you do what you have to do, what only you can do, and I'm gonna pray for you. That is our responsibility. We invite God into every aspect of our reality, of our here and of our now. What are the results if we choose the proper refuge? We talked about what happens when we choose the improper refuge. What is the result if we choose the right refuge? Well, scripture tells us strength. The Hebrew word here for strength is Oz. This is where we get the, you know, where they talk about the wizard of Oz, the wizard of strength. He is the man behind the curtain pulling the strings. Once again, God and God alone is positioned to be our strength. 
is able and capable to be our strength. It emphasizes, we see in Psalm 21, verse 1, and Psalm 29, verse 11, that God protects and that he saves. Scripture goes on to say he is our strength. He is always ready, meaning that no matter what, no matter well, he, where he is well proven, not in the history of humanity has God ever not been enough. He has never been a letdown and he will not start with you. He will not abandon you. Scripture tells us that he will walk beside you. He is not a God that stands on the other side of our valley. Instead, he walks with us every step of the way. Why is this important? What is he ready to do? He is ready to be help in times of trouble. In this world, do you know what you were promised? As obedient followers of Christ Jesus, as moms and dads who have committed to raise your kids in the values and the promises and the plans of God Almighty, of faithful servants, sacrificial servants. Do you know what you're promised according to scripture? Blue skies and sunshine. No. You are promised trouble. <laughs> that parenting is tough. That being the right husband to Jessica is tough. That being the right wife to Luke it's tough being the right parent to Ava and Ella and Mila. It's tough to serving this community well, to being faithful, to being a man of integrity in which compromise seems to surround us. It is difficult. And when we are faithful, we are promised trouble. So stop playing the victim. There are two promises of help in regard to trouble. God says this, I will be your help in times of trouble. And then we allow scripture to be the commentary to interpret scripture. So these are the promises that God gives us that we find in scripture in times of trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And then he says, and I will be with you always. So I'm in control and you are not alone. So verse two, so therefore pay attention because what I'm about to say, it matters. So we will not what? Fear. You've heard us say it before. Scripture mandates, commands over 366 times throughout scripture, do not fear. Why? Because we need to hear every single day of our lives, including leap year, because there is plenty out there that is trying to steal and rob and kill our joy and our peace. So God stands and he says, do not fear. No matter what, no matter where. Why? Because as believers, we are secure because of the cross and the empty tomb, peace cannot be stolen from us. 
because it's not dictated by our circumstances or our condition and our refuge is placed on an unshakable, impenetrable force, God and God alone. So scripture goes on in verse 46, or chapter 46. When the earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. Don't miss this. This is why it's important to take note of the header. So who's singing this song? Who penned this song? The sons of Korah. How did their father die? An earthquake came. The earth opened up. Swallowed him whole. When you understand this, the sons of Korah who watched their dad out of disobedience, almost out of a self-fulfilling prophecy, I got this. And God allowed them to meet their own destruction because of their dependency on self. And the sons of Korah are saying, I don't have to fear that. Because my life is in line in faithful obedience to the mandate, the promises, and the plans of God Almighty. In other words, I don't have to fear the wrath of God, the judgment of God, because I'm not rebelling against God. I've not made myself God. I've surrendered to a holy and to a righteous God, a good father. Therefore, I don't have to be like my dad. Verse three, so let the oceans roar and the foam. Let the mountains tremble and the waters surge. And then you see Selah, you see Paul's. And what scripture is reminding us in this moment is when you read God's infallible, holy word, it's a promise to you. It's meant for you. So don't just read through it to check a box. Pause, soak in it. Allow it to saturate your here and your now. Believe that the promises of God, they pertain to you no matter what, no matter where. So meditate, pause. And although the oceans roar and the mountains, they seem to tremble and fall into the sea, God is sovereign. He's in control. Even though our nation seems to be in calamity, even though my life seems to be in pieces, even though my heart, God knows I thought I would heal by now, but I can't even get out of bed many mornings. I never knew that it was gonna be this tough what do I do? I remember God is able. He is sovereign. He's in control. He's not skirming around heaven, taking the angels by the shoulders. What are we going to do? He is good. He is powerful. He's all knowing. He is everywhere. 
even in your valley, even in your seasons of uncertainty, even in your calamity. So I will allow the God of my circumstances to define me and I will not allow my circumstances to define me. Verse four, a river brings joy to the city of our God, the sacred home of the most high. Now it's important that once again, that we understand the context of what is being written here. This Psalm is being written in 700 BC. During this season, King Hezekiah, he was reigning, he was ruling. And when this song was being penned outside of the city gates, Assyria had gathered an army that was approaching, that was surrounding the city, that was cutting off all food and all water sources. But this had been done before. Remember the story of Daniel when we went through that series? Where the Assyrians, they would, they would come in and they would steal and they would rob they would plunder, they would take all the able-bodied people. So Hezekiah, knowing that this may one day be a self-fulfilling prophecy, he constructed a tunnel underneath the city that was called Hezekiah's Tunnel because they weren't very good at creating word. So they just called it what it was. It was Hezekiah's Tunnel. But the enemies didn't know about it. So the enemies were standing outside waiting for them to starve, waiting for them to thirst to death. All the while, there was a source of living water flowing freely beneath that wall. What does this mean for us? We're not surrounded by an enemy. But are we? You see, it speaks to us. Revelation 22 says this. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Do you see the echoing language here? Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with 12 kinds of fruit yielding each fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nation. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the land will be in it and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and have his name on their forehead. We're getting face tattoos, people, all right? I know you shook your head at it, but it's scripture. And night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp of sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever. Many of you this morning, you feel like there's an approaching army, enemy that is gathering and surrounding your family, surrounding you, surrounding your health, surrounding your relationships. But be reminded that there is a river that is flowing from the throne of God and all of those who profess that Christ is Lord, we do not have to fear because the world, our circumstances, our condition cannot steal our safe haven. It cannot penetrate our refuge. Why? Because we find our peace. We find our comfort. We find our refuge. And it is written. It is done. The enemy can't do nothing about it. God and God alone is our strong tower, is our safe haven. 
So no matter the enemy that surrounds you, no matter what's going on in your world or in your life, it's going to be okay. There's healing. There's protection. There's promise. There's a plan. Verse five, and God dwells in that city. It cannot be destroyed from the very break of day. God will protect it. Verse six, the nations are in chaos, amen? And their kingdoms crumble, but God's voice thunders and the earth melts. Outside of the refuge of God, it is calamity, it is chaos, it is compromise. It is inflation, it is assassination, it is destruction, it is war, it is rumors of war. Take the headlines from today and apply it to our here and our now. It is chaos right now outside of the city, but inside the refuge, inside the city gates, don't believe the headlines. Inside the city, God's in control. God is not surprised. He is not worried. We are his people. Verse seven. And the Lord of heaven's armies is here among us, the God of Israel. Now, in many of your translations, you will see the word Jacob here. And that is actually the accurate translation. Some of your newer translations will see the God of Israel. But the literal word there is Jacob. He is our fortress. And you guys know the story of Jacob. Jacob translated is heel grabber or trickster because from the womb, Jacob emerges into the world grabbing the heel of his brother, trying to take in that moment the birthright. And Jacob spends his entire life tricking. He stole his father's blessing by tricking him. He stole his brother's birthright by tricking him. And then he runs, he flees for his life. And in a tent, in the darkness of night, God shows up. Jesus, the messenger of God, wrestles with Jacob, dislocating his hip, in which he walked with a limp as a reminder of that ordained meeting. And then that messenger looked at Jacob and said, I know your story. I know your brokenness. I know your sin. I know your past. I know your rebellion, but you are not defined by it. From here on out, you will be called Israel. I think that it's important for us to understand that in this context because we have been given a new identity in Christ regardless of our past, regardless of our circumstances, regardless of what we have done. God is for you. You are redeemed because of the cross and the empty tomb for all who believe that Christ is Lord and confess that as being true. You have been given a new identity. You have not been disqualified. First John chapter four, verse 10 says, and this is love. 
real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice. Why? To take away our sins. He paid the price for us. And that is really good news. Back to verse eight, Psalm 46. So come see the glorious works of the Lord. See how he brings destruction upon the world. He causes wars to end throughout the earth. He breaks the bow and he snaps the spear. He burns the shield with fire. And then we have seen this verse on pillows across our lives, crocheted on walls of our grandmother's house. Verse 10, be still and know that I am God. When we read this, we take it out of context most of the time, and we think it is this soothing, comforting verse. Be still, no matter what, know that I am God. But this is a war cry. This verse, it is saturated in blood. Hezekiah, we talked about him earlier. He was the king when this was penned. And we find his story in 2 Kings 18 and 19 when this verse, when it was emerged. Hezekiah, he is surrounded by armies approaching. He knows that he cannot win the battle. He knows that even though the stream flows in, eventually the approaching army is going to get impatient and they are going to come over the walls. It seems inevitable. So what does he do? He calls for God's spokesman, God's chosen anointed voice, Isaiah. In reference, this is what we have of God's word, the Bible. So Isaiah comes before Hezekiah and Hezekiah says, what do we do? What does God have to say about this situation? How do we get out of it? And he says, I tell you what we need to start with. We need to go to the Lord in prayer. So Hezekiah takes the scroll that Isaiah gave him with the instruction and he lays it out before the temple and he goes to the Lord in prayer and he pleads to God. Second Kings chapter 19, verse 14. You also see this in Isaiah's portrayal in Isaiah 37, but we're gonna be in 2 Kings 19, verse 14. After this, this will mess this verse up for you. you you'll never look at it the same. Just warning, all right? 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 14. After Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it, he went up to the Lord's temple and he spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed this before the Lord, O Lord of Israel, you are enthroned between the mighty cherubim. You alone, God, of all the kingdoms of the earth, you alone created the heavens and the earth. Bend down, O Lord, and listen. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to the words of defiance against the living God. It is true, Lord, that the kings of Assyria have destroyed all these nations and they have thrown the gods of these nations into the fire and burned them. 
But, on the, but of course, the Assyrians could destroy them because they were not gods at all, only idols of wood and stone shaped by human hands. Now, O oh Lord, our God, rescue us from the power. Then all of the kingdoms of the earth, they will know you alone. You alone are God. And then jump down to verse 32. And this is the word of the Lord. This is how he responds to Hezekiah's plea, to saying, if you will deliver us, if you will rescue us, if you will be our refuge, we will make certain that you get the glory and you alone because it's not me, it's about you. Verse 32, this is how God responds. And this is where we find the verse we just read in Psalm 46. And this is what the Lord says about the king of Assyria. His armies will not enter Jerusalem. They will not even shoot an arrow at it. They will not march outside its gates with their shields nor build banks of earth against its walls. The king will return to his own country by the same road in which he came. He will not enter this city, says the Lord, for my own honor and for the sake of the servant David, I will descend this city and protect it. For my glory, verse 35 that very night, the angel of the Lord went out to the Assyrian camp and killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. When the surviving Assyrians woke up the next morning, they found the corpses everywhere. The king of Assyria broke camp and returned to his own land. I bet he did. He went home to the capital of Nineveh and he stayed there. So be still and know that I am God has different meaning than, than it. When you read it in that context, when the armies surround me, when I don't stand a chance in the battle, I am outmatched, I am outgunned, I am exhausted, I am at my wits end. The diagnosis, the circumstance, the condition, the grief, it has griped me in a way in which I cannot take another step. Be still. And know that I am God. And they stood at the wall and they saw 185,000 corpses littering the battlefield and they did not even have to string a bow. God fights our battles. Verse 10. I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. The Lord of heaven's army is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. Scariest words an individual can say, I got this. Wisest words an individual can say, God's got this. Jesus fights our battles. When we run to him, and we find our solitude, our peace, our protection, our provision when he is our refuge. And how do we do this? We surrender, which seems crazy. In the midst of a battle for your life, for your family, for your job, for your health, it seems crazy cowardly to surrender. But do you know what scripture says we are surrendering? Our sin, our fear, 
our inadequacy, our guilt, our shame, our judgment. For what? For a God who is able, who is strong, who is unconditionally unrelenting in his pursuit for your heart. If we would just have the audacity to believe that his word is true and for you. If we just knew we would not have a struggle of the flesh in surrendering to what God's word says about our family, about our finances, about our circumstances, about our condition. The exchange, it is better than we can verbalize, articulate, or understand. So this morning, do you feel surrounded? Are you in a battle? Are the armies on the horizon? And maybe you say, no, things are good. Well, God bless you. You be the choir that sings this over those in the battle. But your day is coming. How do you know? Because trouble is promised. But so is our refuge. I am greater. I am stronger. I am better. The words that we are about to sing, my prayer is that when we sing these words, that they will fill you, that they will energize you, that they will come alive in you. You see, I won't bow to idols. I'll stand strong and worship you. And if he puts me in the fire, I'll rejoice because you're there too. And I won't be formed by feelings. I hold fast to what is true. If the cross brings transformation, then I'll be crucified with you. Because death is just a doorway into resurrection life. And I join you in the suffering then I'll join you when you rise and when you return in glory with all the angels and all the saints, my heart will still be singing my song. It will be the same. So Christ be magnified. Let praise arise. Oh, Christ be magnified. No matter the battle, no matter the enemy, no matter the circumstance, no matter the condition, Christ, be magnified. Bow your heads with me. Father, in a room this size, I am certain that there are many individuals who are in a battle for their life right now. <laughs> Maybe they're battling on behalf of their children or their marriage. Maybe they're fighting literally for their life in regard to health circumstances. Maybe they have been gripped by grief of the loss of a loved one and they're just fighting just to carry on some sense of normality. Maybe it's depression or anxiety. 
And God, we are exhausted because we have believed the lie. I got this. I can be strong enough for them. So we put on a good face and we fake it. And then in our isolation, we crumble and we fall and we cry ourselves to sleep. We throw our hands up, we shrug our shoulders and we say, I don't know how to get out of this. I don't know what to do. And then we pause, Selah, and we remember our refuge. And it is in that safe place of truth, of unconditional love, of beautiful sacrifice, that we surrender. And in our surrender, we are set free. So Christ, be magnified. Would you stand and would you sing that like you believe it? Thanks for listening to the Mount Zion Wesleyan Church podcast. We hope this message has inspired you to take a next step in your walk with Jesus. For more messages or to watch our full worship gathering on demand, visit us online at mountzionwesleyan.com.